0: Good morning everyone. This is, uh, this is good, we're getting better and better at this and uh, it's good to see, 64 kids. Uh, while they're heading out, I'll just, I'll just say good morning, my name's Jason Wendell. Um, well, I think I know most of you, but some, for some of you don't, I'm Jason Wendell, I'm on the board here at uh, CIC, but I'm also the college chaplain at Briarcrest, so the students this week are getting a lot of me. I hope that's a good thing guys, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, but I'm just so excited to have the chance to, to preach the Word of God at this church that I love. I always say, um, I, I used to always say to people uh, when there were two churches in Cairnport, oh, when I was a kid, when I was just a little boy, I went and it was just one church. And so there's kind of this like uh, childlike exuberance that I have to, to be here uh, worshiping with you guys. Uh, let's turn to the Word this morning. We're going to be continuing our series in Genesis 13. All right. This is Genesis 13 thirteen starting at verse three. Let me pray quickly and then we'll read. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the way that you're revealing yourself in Scripture. Amen. Genesis three or pardon me, thirteen three. Abraham journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together. For their possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abraham's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, The Canaanites and Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oak of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So Um, As should be clear, we're continuing our series where we're looking at the story of Abraham in the early chapters of Genesis. Uh, But before we dive headlong into the text, I want to begin with a question just to, you know, get the juices flowing, you know. So my first question is this, um, do any of you have a friend or a colleague, maybe a family member who's made you a promise that you're still kind of waiting on them to fulfill that, to to keep that? Sometimes it's like, is this ever really going to get done? Like, I'm kind of... I'm wondering if this promise is going to be fulfilled. I'm still waiting for my dad to read my master's thesis and tell me what he thinks. Um, that might turn into one of those promises that is never fulfilled. Um, but before, before I stir up too much strife among you guys, don't, don't dwell too long on that, um, I want to ask you a more serious question. Do any of us feel like God has made us a promise or, or put a calling on our life or told us something and we're still waiting for him to complete that? Maybe he's called you to something and you're trying to be faithful, you're trying to live out and, and believe that, um, but it's hard. We know God makes us promises, but it can be hard when we don't, we don't see those things right away. And I, I bring this up because I think this story of Abraham is all about promise. It's about a promise God makes to Abraham, right? Right? A couple of weeks ago, Josh led us through Genesis 12, and God comes to Abraham, and he gives him a call, a command, right? He says, go, leave your country, leave your family, leave your kindred, go to the land that I'll show you. So that's, that is a, a call and a command, but then he gives him a promise, right? And Josh walked us through this. He said, hey, I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham. And as we trace this series, as we go through the stories of Abraham, our eyes should really be fixed on that promise. Is God answering that promise? Are there ways that he's answering? How is that promise changing? Are there ways it's developing? And how is Abraham responding to that promise? These are the questions that we want to keep our eyes fixed on as we move through the series and as we move through this text today. Because Abraham responds in different ways. We saw at the start, Abraham did pretty good. He did leave his land. He did leave his father's house, and he went to the land. He believed. He was faithful. And then as, as Josh read last week, there were times when Abraham was not so good, right? There's a famine in the land of Canaan. He leaves. He goes to Egypt. He betrays his wife. He acts like a coward, and he's, he's not acting faithful. But now, here in this text, we read that he's back on track, right? He's come back to the land. He came back to where he was at first. He came back to an altar, and he called on the name of the Lord. So now he's back on track. How is he going to respond to the promises God has made, and, uh, and how does that promise develop? Well, let's keep our eyes open for that. I want us to go back to the text again and read through it again. We're going to go through it a little more slowly, and I'm going to uh, try to add my comments, and we'll work through it because it's worth it. But let's, let's keep that idea of promise in mind. Here we go. I'm going to start with verse, verse three again. So, an, oh, by the way, I'm going to say Abraham and Abram interchangeably. I'm sorry, I just, I can't help it, but we'll keep going. Sorry, verse three. <laughs> Abram journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So like I said, He's back on track, right? There's kind of this stage of he's coming back. It emphasizes it. He's back. He's returned to the place where he was at first. He came where he, to where he built an altar, and he's calling on the name of the Lord. So this is a good thing. Abraham's back on track, uh, but what happens next? Some strife is, starts up, right? Because we're introduced to Lot. Now this is verse five. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together. For the possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abraham's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were still in the land. Hmm. So, a couple of th- notes here. We get kind of introduced to Lot. Lot has been mentioned once before in the narrative, but we haven't really talked a lot about him. He's ne- Abraham's nephew, and he, I guess he's traveling with the entourage here. It says that he also has uh, flocks and livestock. Now, the, the text makes a big example of how much Abraham has, and it, but apparently Lot has some too. Um, but they're traveling together, so, but there's strife, right? Now, we have to think about these guys, they're, they're traveling nomads in the land, right? They're not settled, they're traveling along in tents, they're probably moving from water hole, watering hole to watering hole, and they're finding, um, you know, grass and things for their flocks to eat. So you can see why there would be tension, right? If they're traveling and there's some scarcity, and they both have tons of flocks, th- that's a problem, right? Like, they're fighting over the grass, they're fighting over the water, trying to get everyone fed. You can see why this is a problem. But then there's this little note that maybe helps us understand the problem a little better. It says, now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were still in the land. Now just a little little side note for free. When we're reading Old Testament narratives, there's a lot of these little side notes where the the narrator is telling us the story and we're moving along and he's narrating what's going on and then all of a sudden it stops and there's an extra piece of information. And that's why I read it in kind of a funny voice because it's almost like an aside. It's like, oh, don't forget the Canaanites and the Parasites are still here. Then he keeps going. So that's an important note. And if we want to read these narratives well, we have to pay attention when the narrator stops to do that. Okay, that's just, anytime you're reading Genesis or any of the Old Testament narratives, pay attention for those special moments where it just, the action stops and the narrator says something important. Pay attention. Uh, there's going to be a few more even today. Okay, so what does, what is our attention being brought to when it says that the Canaanites and the Parasites are in the land? Well, maybe the fact that um, Abram and Lot are having a hard time, um, that there's not enough space for them, is the fact that the land's actually already inhabited. There's already Canaanite and Perizzite settlements everywhere. Um, they're the ones traveling around looking for stuff, and maybe that's part of the problem. The land is full. Maybe it brings up this question. If you're, Remember I talked about that promise. Uh, God said, I'll give you this land. I'll make you a great nation. Maybe you're asking this question, how is God going to fulfill his promise to make Abraham into a great nation when there's not even enough room in this land for a couple of rich nomads? Like, I get it. I get that they're rich. I get that they've got a pretty big entourage, but how in the world is there going to be room for a great nation when there's not enough room for, like, you know, a couple of rich guys? So those are the types of questions that we can ask ourselves when we get to those moments where extra information is given. Anyway, let's keep moving through the text. How does Abraham uh, respond to this situation? How is he going to handle the tension that's grown? Well, let's keep reading. Then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between my herders and your herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So, this is pretty good, right? I think this reflects pretty well on Abraham. Um, it's on the surface level, he's just acting generously. He sees that there's a problem. He sees that there's some strife and contention, and he wants to minimize it. So he, he gives a pretty generous offer too, right? Even though he's, he's the oldest guy, he's, or I don't know if he's the oldest guy, but he's kind of the head of the family. He's the head of this group. Lot is traveling with him, sure, but Abraham's kind of the head, but he humbles himself, right? He treats Lot like an equal, like a brother. He says, you know what? You go ahead and choose. I'll go the other way. So on a on surface level, it looks pretty good, um, but I'm wondering if you are wondering, or I wonder if you're questioning this, and I'm questioning this, is like, but Abraham, this land was promised to you. Why are you going and offering it to Lot? Are you worried about that? Is anyone else worried about that? I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the land. Um, some, some authors have gone as far as saying that what Abraham is doing here is a mistake, that he shouldn't offer up the land, that somehow this is, a, this is a problem because God's promised Abraham the land, so he shouldn't be offering it to Lot. I'm not sure I buy into that uh, because as we read, I think there's going to be a lot that suggests that Abra- Abram's actually done a good thing here and that Lot's done the wrong thing. So I think, I think God affirms what Abraham's doing here, uh, but we have to work through that. It might be, it might be that um, Abram... Is just willing to share the promise like hey this land was promised to me but you you go ahead and take a share take a place that that could be an option some people have said that um it could be that he's actually offering the land that was promised to him just like hey i was promised this land but you can you can take it um that's another thing i i kind of tend to think that abram just he doesn't see a problem here with offering some of the land to lot it's just you know it's his family it's part of his group and offering Offering Lot the land, it, it can, it's fine, it won't, it won't affect things. I, I don't know, uh, that's, tend to how, that's how I tend to think of it. But either way, he's being generous, he's trying to make for peace, and he's offering the land to Lot. And that's a good thing. I think the text affirms that. But how does Lot respond? Let's, let's keep reading. Pardon me. Lot looked around him, and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan and journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now, obviously I'm trying to emphasize a point here, um, but it's a point that I think the text is making and that's that what Lot is doing is making a very bad choice. First, at the end of verse 10, we're reminded that this area, even though it looks green now, like sure, it looks great, looks nice, um, he's remi- the, the narrator's reminding the readers that this is the land that God's going to destroy. And actually, just a couple chapters later is where we read about this, right? So we're reading it. We know the story, right? We know what happens. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah is destined for fire then down at at verse 13, it says, oh, these are great sinners. They're wicked. They're great sinners against the Lord. These words are not used for any other people group in the Old Testament. It's a unique phrase. So it's serious. It's serious sinners. So he chooses to go and live among them. That's a a terrible choice. And there's actually another subtle hint, um, which is maybe, yeah, like slightly more subtle than these. Maybe you caught it, though. It says that um, the land around the Jordan was well watered like the pardon me, like the Garden of the Lord, uh, which is maybe a reference to Eden, I don't know, but then it also says it's like the land of Egypt, right? And if you remember what Josh was saying to us last week, is that Egypt can sometimes just represent all that is evil and opposed to God, and Egypt's another land that was prosperous and green and fruitful, but also uh, came under God's wrath, right? So not really a very flattering comparison to say it's like Egypt, So these kind of reasons combine together to tell us this is a bad idea. Lot's making a bad choice um, in in choosing this land. But incidentally, he doesn't choose the land that's promised to Abram. That's the land of Canaan. God says, I'm going to give you all this land. That land remains open for him. So after Lot leaves, this is what the Lord says to Abram. The Lord says, this is verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, raise your eyes now, look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted, amen. Isn't that amazing? This promise that God has made to Abraham before, he reaffirms it, but uh, like I said before, this promise kind of develops and grows on Abraham, right? There's a couple differences between what uh, God says here and what God said in Genesis 12. The first is that he says, I will give this to you and your offspring forever. He doesn't say that before. Now there's this eternal part of the covenant. I will give this to you forever. It's not partial, it's not temporary. Nations rise and fall and move that happens, but he says, this land will be for you and your seed forever. The second thing, I think even more significant, is he says, I will make your people like the dust of the earth. If the dust of the earth can be counted, then your people can be counted. And that's actually an intensification. That's, that's a growing of the promise, because in Genesis 12, God had said, I will make you a great nation. Now, there are great nations in the world uh, that have many, many people, but a lot of them, they can be counted, right? That's what a census is for. Even great nations, you can have a census, you can count them, but no one can count the dust of the earth. That's a beautiful promise. That's a big promise. And I, I, this isn't really what my sermon's about today, but I can't help but read this and think about what the New Testament says about all of God's people, all those who turn to Christ being included in Abraham's family through faith. That throughout the history of the church, so many Christians, uncountable members of the church, have joined Abraham's people. There's no way Abraham could have seen how God would answer this promise, that truly, truly those that are part of Abraham's family are uncountable. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week, how every nation and tongue, there are are people from every nation and tongue that have joined the family of Abraham through Christ. And so we're going to talk about that more next week, but I just, I can't pass that by without mentioning it. For now, I just want to say, Abraham has been blessed because of his choice. By humbling himself and letting Lot choose first, uh, he's been blessed by God. There's been an intensification of the the promise, and and this is good. He's walking by faith. He's back on track. That's good. Even though the land is still full of Canaanites, remember that, the land is still full of Canaanites, but in a special way, uh, these promises are being fulfilled. Then God says, here's what God says. He says, uh, rise up, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So he finishes where he started, right? He's built another altar and he's, he's on track, he's worshiping God and he's told to walk through the land. I think, guys, this is a symbolic act right? God has promised him this land for him and his people. It's still full of Canaanites and parasites. It's not inhabited by Abram's family or his people yet. They're still nomads. But there's this way that by walking to and fro, by building these altars, he's symbolically claiming it. He's walking in faithfulness, believing that God will answer his promise. And that's a good thing. Abraham is being blessed for this. So now, as we've, as we've worked through the story again, now we've read it twice, got some comments, um, I want us to take a step back, look at the whole thing, and look at this contrast between Lot and Abraham. In some ways, I think Lot ends up being a bit of a foil for Abraham. They both have the same type of um, like promise in front of them, right, they both uh, look at the land. It says for both of them, Lot looks up and looks around him, and Abraham's invited by God, hey, look, looked north and south, right? And they both, in a way, kind of choose the land. Lot chooses for himself, but Abraham chooses by deferring. They both have a choice to make. And one makes a really good choice, and one makes a really bad one. So let's look at those choices. First, I want to look a little bit at the motivations. For Abraham, the motivation appears to be peacemaking, right? He doesn't want strife among his kinsmen. He doesn't want this problem, and that causes him to act generously, right? He's the head of the group, like I said before. He's the one that probably should have the first choice, but he offers it to Lot. And I think that this is an act of faith in God. I think actually that motivates him uh, because he doesn't feel like, no, i got to grasp this. Like, hey, hey, this land is mine. God promised this to me. Like, you go find your own land, right? He doesn't say that. He's just willing to say, hey, you go wherever you want. So uh, generosity peacemaking and these are things that throughout all of scripture guys I I mean we don't have time to look at all the scripture that are blessed by God these are the things that God's people do old and new testament the followers of Christ they're peacemakers right blessed are the peacemakers and we're called to act generously not looking to our own concerns but looking to the concerns of others first right to not act for self-interest but to act for others these are just like these this is these things characterize the people that follow God So Abraham is is acting from good motives, good secure motives. He's worried more about making peace. By contrast, what motivates Lot? He acts precisely the opposite way. He looks and he sees the land that's best. He's like, yeah, that's the best land. That's going to be best for me. I'm going to be the most rich. I take this land. He doesn't even, there's not, not even a pause there. He just goes for it. And I think of, um, I don't know if this is super exegetically strong or anything, but I think of all the times, you know these funny stories in the Old Testament where someone's like, oh, I'll buy your field for this much. And the other guy's like, don't insult me, take it for free. And he's like, no, I have to pay you. And it goes back and forth. There's a few of those in Scripture, right? I kind of imagine that that's what should have happened here. Like Abraham, the head of the whole entourage, says, hey, like, you go wherever you want. If you go left, I'll go right. I kind of imagine that what Lot should do is say, no, 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 Abraham, you're the head. You take the land you want and I'll go this way and maybe they should banter it out a bit, but that's not what happens. He's like, good, I'll take this land because it's the best and he goes, right? Because it's greed and self-interest. He's worried about himself. He's not worried about Abram. He's worried about himself and what's best for him. But more than just the motivation, I also want to look at how they make their choice. This is really important. Lot makes his choice by sight but Abraham makes his choice by faith. I'm just going to say that again. Lot chooses because of what he sees. Abraham is walking by faith. Because it says, Lot looks up at the land. He looked and he saw that it was green and good. It looked like the garden of the Lord. It looked rich and blessed. But the narrator has told us and made it very clear, it might look good, but this is a bad place. This is a bad choice. You're going to Sodom. Sodom. The people there are wicked, evil, you shouldn't go there. It might look good to your eyes, but you shouldn't go that way. And and Calvin says this, this is a paraphrase of what Calvin says about this text. He says, Lot thinks he's choosing a paradise, but actually he ends up near hell. I think that's true. Because he's looking with his eyes, he makes just a straight bad evaluation. And there's something here for us too, right? We are a people that that do not live by sight. We're called to live by faith. And our motivations and our goals are not grounded in self-advancement. Where can I go to succeed? What's going to be best for me? Is the grass greener over there? Then I want to be over there. I better go that way. We can't get caught up in that pursuit, especially in trusting our eyes. If we get caught up pursuing wealth and comfort, self-advancement, whether that's like in the corporate world or the social world, even the academic world we're going to end up off track we can't get caught up being directed by our eyes and going what after whatever looks best for us we don't live by say, uh, by sight we live by faith trusting what god's calling us to do so that's important abraham he chooses by faith we're not seeing here the abraham that abandons the land god's called him goes to egypt gives up his wife. No, no, no. We're seeing the Abraham who's back on track, faithfully believing what God's called him to do. First, he doesn't feel the need to grasp, like I said, grasp at the plan. He's uh, at the promise that was given to him. He offers the land to Lot, I think fully trusting. He doesn't see it as a problem. He can can act generously. He can act in a peacemaking way, which is right and good, because he just trusts that God, if God's promised him the land, then God will do that. There's not a need to strive for it in in this negative sense or tell Lot to, you know, leave or something. It's like, no, take the land that seems best to you. He's trusting in God's promises. And God blesses him, right? As he travels that promised portion, right, so he kind of separates from him, God takes him up and shows him the whole land. And that's a beautiful moment. There's a progression here. Remember how when Josh was preaching a couple weeks ago, uh, God calls Abraham and says, go to the land that I'll show you. And Abraham doesn't see it. He doesn't even really know where he's going, right? He's like, I'll give you this land. But in this instance, now he's standing on a high place looking and God's like, this is it. This is the land. And he can see it with his eyes now. He's no longer in Haran just like wandering blindly. It's like this is a special moment where Abraham gets to see what God has given him. He gets to see the blessing. I think that's special. But then what happens after that? The, uh, he's called to walk to and fro in the land. Because the land is still filled with Canaanites and parasites. right? We were reminded of that earlier. The land is still full. The promise is not fully realized, and yet he's called back to this faithful walking up and down the land. Like I said, it's, it's a symbolic act where he's, he's walking and trusting that this land will be given to his descendants, that God will do what he's promised. So there's the high point where he, see, he does get to see in a special way, it's like he gets to see the land that God's given him, uh, is going to give him. Um, but in another way, it's kinda of back to this walk of faith. This faithfully walking up and down the land, trusting that God will one day give it to him. And I feel like our lives uh, before the Lord often are like this, there are special moments where we get to see God's promises and we get to see it in a more clear way, even if it's not fully realized, uh, but then we're kind of, we're back down in that w- walk of faith day by day, right? Just a small example for my own life. I remember it was in my third year of college that I really felt called uh, to preach and teach God's Word. I just, there was a lot of ways God was working that out. And, and part of that, I was like, okay, this is cool. I, I guess I'll study the Bible. Um, and part of that was like, I got the opportunity to, to preach in chapel, which was, um, uncommon that you could just go and ask the, the chaplain and get into chapel but I got to do it and I stood up here and this was my first time preaching uh, many years ago and I stood up here and I got to kind of see it I was like wow like there's a bunch of college students and I was preaching God's word and it was like wow this is really cool like this is what I'm called to do awesome um, and that was kind of like one of those high points where I was really seeing what God was calling me to But then after that, there was several years, my fourth year of college, three years of seminary, where I dove back into just that faithful walk of like, okay, this is what God's called me to do. I guess I probably should study the Bible if I'm going to teach the Bible. And I was just sort of walking it out. And I don't want to say just that it's like there's high moments in your walk, but the rest is sort of dreary kind of walk. It's not just, sometimes it's hard. It's picking up your cross, absolutely. But like Abraham's moving around the land being blessed by God building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. I really feel like for me, the last few years have been like that. Like years of walking and studying, maybe not always preaching that much, but walking and studying and learning, and it's, it's been a blessed time, but it's been a walk of faithfulness, trusting that what God has said and promised me is true. And in a cool way, now I'm the college chaplain, so that promise has been realized in a lot of ways. I'm still looking forward to more, uh, more of what God's doing, but there's ways that he's, he's prepared me for that, and now I'm doing that. And there's a call for all of us here. It's not just me. I tried to uh, illustrate that with my own example. But all of us as Christians um, are called to this walk of faith. This, this walk where we live by our faith, not by our sight. In a primary way, in a primary way, sorry, my notes keep falling off, sorry. Um, in a primary way, we live in the faith that God will raise us up on the last day, right? That's not something we see. We believe because Christ has died and been raised up that one day he'll raise us up. And even though we see the life of the future bubbling up now, today, and this is something I'm emphasizing in College Chapel, we do see the life of the future bubbling up and popping up now, we still don't see the resurrection. You can't see your own resurrection until it's been done, till it's been completed on the last day. So we walk by faith. That's a primary way that all of us who are Christians live by faith, not by sight. Another way, but there's more, there's more individual ways, right? I don't know about you, but some of us, I, I want to return to that question uh, that I, I, I wrote, sorry, that I raised at the start of today. Are we waiting on God's promises for us? These sort of individual like calls that He's given us and promises He's made to us. Maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're new to Cairnport. You came this year or you've come and you've been here a couple years and you felt really called to be here. And there was stuff that God put on your heart and he was like, I'm going to do this work in you. I'm going I'm to perform these things. And you're, and you're thinking, okay, I came. I'm trying to live faithfully. I'm trying to like work it out here in Cairnport or at Briarcrest. And, and you're like, where, where are these promises? Where's the work that God's promised he would do in my life and around me? Maybe that's some of us. Others of us, you've been here a long time. I've been here for 10 years. I know a lot of us have been there much longer than 10 years. Maybe you feel like I've been here a long time, faithfully trying to live out what God has called me to do. I'm still kind of waiting to see these promises fulfilled, or these these ways that God's called me to work and things that He said to me, I'm still waiting to see it. Maybe you're in that space. For all of us, though, there's this call to continue the walk of faith. Even if we don't see it, even if our land—now, this is metaphorical—but even if our land is full of Canaanites and parasites, there's this call to believe that what God has said is true and to continue to walk the land, to survey the land, to trust and act out of faith, believing that God will fulfill his promises. There's that individual level. Then there's, as a corporate level, maybe God has called two churches to join together and to come together. I was in, uh, I'm a board member here, and I was in some of those early meetings uh, where we were meeting together and talking about coming together, and there was this distinct kind of sense that if we were faithful and if we came together that our ministry would be strengthened, that God would do a new work, that, that there would be lots of abundant fruit from this because we'd be stronger together for discipleship and for outreach. That was the sense that the leaders had. And praise the Lord that we have come together. We're one church. I love this. This is beautiful. And now I'm kind of like, okay, God, now we're here. Now we're together. I want to see this awesome fruit. I want to see this awesome ministry and this awesome work you have for us. And, And there's this call for me and for all of us. as as a body, to faithfully step in, to say, okay, God, we believe that you've done this. You've brought us together. Now, how can we walk in faith? How can we dive into the work together? Where do we fit in this thing uh, as we continue to trust that you will do a good work in Cairnport? You'll do a good work in Cairnport, at Briarcrest, in the community, amongst us. We trust that. We trust that God's gonna do a great work here, and we wanna walk faithfully into that, right? Because he calls us to. That's the kind of thing that we can learn from the story of Abram. We are Abraham's descendants through Christ. We are a people of promise, and we continue to live out this calling. We continue to walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes that looks like walking the length of the land, trusting and just being like, you know what? I claim this promise because he's given this to me, and I believe it. There's going to be moments where we get to see it in beautiful ways, like those those moments where God's like, look to the north and the south. But there's also moments uh, and longer durations of walking, faithfully believing. So let's do that. Let's carry that out as as believers in Christ, as individuals, and as a corporate body. Let's walk by faith. Let me pray for you. Pray for us, I should say. Lord, I pray, um, just as your word says, that we would have faith like Abraham. And there's so many other examples in scripture of men and women who have walked by faith, who trusted in your promises even though they couldn't see them. And I pray for us that we would do just that. That we wouldn't look to our own interests, but that we would follow your calling on our lives and we would devote ourselves to that with faithfulness. I just pray this in the mighty and powerful and awesome name of Jesus Christ, amen.